Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Lehman Property Management Company has the apartment you will be able to call home with over 1,700 apartment units available in central Illinois. Visit them today at laymanproperties.com or connect with them on Facebook. My enthralling guest for today is Jada Edwards. Jada is a speaker, author, Bible teacher, and mentor. And I felt like this conversation was a power hour of discipleship. And I hope you enjoyed this time as much as I did. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Jada. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be on. Absolutely. Looking forward to this. And let's just start here. Will you give us a flyover of who you are and what God has called you to in this season of life? Oh, man. I am a scatterbrained wife, mother, (laughs) teacher, uh, sometimes author doing a million things. And I still get the privilege of leading in our local church. I oversee a ministry area there. And God has called me (laughs) this season to navigate the chaos. So it is primarily motherhood because my kids are little, they're nine and five. And secondarily, church and ministry, really local church is, is second. And then ministry life. So kind of keeping those all in the mix. And you teach the Bible so well. What would you say is your favorite thing you've ever taught on? Man, I don't know if I have a favorite thing like ever because the Bible is so good. But it's I will say what I'm teaching on now is the idea of what it means to love well and using Jesus's explanation of the greatest commandments the foremost commandment that summarizes all scripture to love the Lord your God, hustle in mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. And just the massive, underappreciated uh, implications of that, that everything that we wrestle with is a love issue. And so that's what I'm getting to take the ladies at our church through right now, just what that looks like to study what God means when he asks us to love us with all of who we are. And I'm kind of tacking on to that, uh, how to study the Bible. So one of my favorite things really is how to study scripture. I love getting to teach on um, Bible study methods. And so we're kind of doing both. That's awesome. Do you want to give us just a little taste of how to study the Bible, ways that you recommend? Yeah, well, I like the inductive method and, you know, it's not new. You just got to kind of keep it fresh in your mind. And that is observation, interpretation, application. Observation is that phase where you're just, what what do you see? What do you know? It's background, context. Who was the audience? The original author, time period. What king was in power? What was going on in the world? And then just what you plainly see in the text. You know, Jesus answering a question. Paul is writing a letter to a church that like just the very basic things of what you see answering kind of the who, what, when, where, why. And then interpretation is saying, well, what does that mean? And so it's really this idea of taking the context from observation and saying, well, what does this passage mean? Which which really is what did it originally mean to the original audience? 
And then application says, well, what does it mean to me? So, you know, 23rd Psalm, for example, I'm not going to look for God to be my literal physical shepherd and make, make me lie down in the grass and be by a stream of water. So I have to know what that meant first to the original audience, to David, who was a shepherd, to what that metaphor meant to him. Now I can figure out what it means to me, how he restores me and gives me peace. And so I like helping people walk through that because I think our tendency is to quickly run to application. Read a verse. I want to hear a quick message. I want something tweetable. Sound bites is the culture we're in right now. And I just wanted to fix something in my heart or give me a new insight or whatever. And I think if we are patient with the word and do much more mining, much more digging in the observation and interpretation phases, then we will have a richer and more accurate uh, result when we get to application. What does it mean to me? And do you believe that God talks to all of his children? Absolutely. I do. I'm like, if I, as a believer, I believe that we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I think that means the power of God indwells me. And so he, he's not silent. He's got plenty to say. Uh, <laughs> is that Because if he wasn't speaking, then scripture would not say I could quench him. Like that means I'm shutting something down that's normally happening or should be happening when I'm walking in a way that pleases God. When I don't, then I quench him. I shut him down. You know, I can grieve him, which means there's some fullness of joy and abundance that comes when I'm thriving and what God's asked me to do. Because when I don't, then the Bible says you can grieve him. You can make him, you can make him sad. You can bring down his countenance because he's, he's still a person. And so, yeah, I think it's um, the only way that I have survived life is knowing that I can constantly hear the voice of God through his scripture and you know, through the people he brings my way and affirms by the spirit that's within. I couldn't agree more with you. But if you had to articulate it, what do you think are some ways that God does invite each of us to lean into the Holy Spirit and hear what God is saying to us? I really think scripture uh, for me is such a gateway. And I know Various denominations tend to come up with ideas. The Holy Spirit is one of the most debated things among Christianity and among Christians. And so I know people like, some people like experiential avenues. You know, some people like, you know, they think about these really distinct visitations of the Spirit, things like that. And, and, you know, I'm not here to argue those points. I'm saying, Jesus said with his own words, I'm going to bring someone He's going to be a comforter. He is going to guide you in all truth. He is going to bring to your remembrance things I've said. So in my mind, I'm really not looking for the Holy Spirit to give me brand new revelation that's never been revealed in scripture. I'm looking for him to apply, bring to my remembrance the things that the word made flesh, Jesus Christ has already said. And so that's the application piece. And, you know, he speaks so clearly through scripture And then in his goodness, he'll have a friend or a sermon or, I mean, a commercial if he wants to. Anything kind of confirming uh, what he's already said. But scripture is my home base. That's even if I get a great word or great insight from a teacher or from a friend who loves God, I'm like, okay, where is this true in scripture? That's that's kind of my true north. And just to circle back to that scripture that you said you're kind of camping out on right now and it's most meaningful. so. As we're looking to love God more, how do you think we can incorporate some creativity into church so that we can know God better and love him more? 
Uh, well, I think it's just number one, being open to how God wants to use the gifts of the body. If you look through scripture and you see all these kinds of spiritual gifts, well, you already see diversity of giftedness. And then in addition to that, you see whatever generation you're living in, there's going to be a diversity of talents. And so how do I bring those in? Because God is creator. And I want to show people that there's so many different ways that God can be glorified or that we can point you back to God. I'm very grateful that our church, uh, my husband and I, when we planted our church, creativity and worship were such huge pieces for us. So I actually oversee our worship arts or creative arts ministry. And so that is like our dance team. They dance once a month. Our drama team, they're doing drama pieces, skits and monologues and things like that once a month. Our choir and then our, our next gen, our next generation uh, groups. And so I love that we are intentional about incorporating those things because I can't tell you how many times someone has maybe the sermon didn't resonate with them or they didn't get it. But the dance moved them and they were like, oh, my gosh, I'll do this in church. And we're like, yeah, because God created dance. <laughs> so or we have a painter or we have a violinist or we have a hip hop rapper or whatever. It's just kind of like we try to stay very, very open to what God is saying and how he might be expressing himself in the moment. And it's very important to see things happening in culture. When I see artists who are killing it, like they're great poets or actors or singers or whatever, and they're not in the church, all I'm thinking is there's someone great out there that loves God. Like that belongs to God in my mind. All of your music, it belongs to God. Now, my goal then is how do I find someone that does this excellently? and does it to the glory of God. And we're going to try to bring them. <laughs> I want to show people the world does not have the monopoly on great singing or great talent or great dancing. And so that's that's been a really intentional piece for us to broaden people's perspective and understanding of how God gives glory through the arts. I love that so much. And I've heard you say before that crafts were meaningful to us as children, but that doesn't go away. We don't outgrow that. Would you elaborate on that thought? Well, I think there some somehow assimilation starts to shut down imagination as we get older. So what seems right? Like what's the job you should have? What's gonna be a good financial decision? What's the way you should raise your family or when should you have kids or you know how what color should your hair be you know so it's it's like if I'm an adult and my hair is pink then I surely I can't have a real job right it's just kind of like you certain things go hand in hand and so I think as adults <clears throat> we have to work to stay imaginative and I don't mean making up things about God that are not true but imagining all the ways God might want to express himself, might want to show himself off. And so, you know, does that mean that we, like I said, we might have a live painter on platform? Does that mean we've got a gymnast who, you know, making sure she's covered properly? We've had a gymnast on platform doing stuff because she loves Jesus and she gets to show people how, you know, walking with the Lord has been her source of discipline. And I mean, just unimaginable things. And so, it, it's an intentional effort to kind of get out of what is considered normal and say, okay, how do we get back to the imaginative kids that we were? Because I think we were closer to our pure selves when we were younger. And I think that's who God is. 
I think he's creator. I think he's creative. And so, yeah, we have to be very intentional about unpacking what seems normal and right and staying open to whatever artistic or creative thing God may want to do. Even if you don't feel artistic, he can do artistic things through you. <laughs> so, Well, and those are a few ways to incorporate it into the church. But how can we also embrace creativity in our home to experience the beauty and the goodness of God? Oh, well, it's, I mean, it depends on, I think there's so many things like what your thing is. Like if you love nature, okay, then what are you doing in your home or with your family or with your friends that incorporates that? Do you do nature walks? Do you, have y'all decided to plant something as a family? Like everything is a lesson. We just got a little mini baby herb garden. I love cooking. I love fresh herbs. My kids love dirt. <laughs> I was like, this all works. And we're going to plant our little baby herb garden and we're going to talk about it. And then we're going to learn about growth and seeds. And, you know, there's a million illustrations in that. And so we do that. Sometimes we do uh, devotions in the morning. I'll have my son read something. A great book by Louis Giglio. Um, I think it's called Incredible God or something like that. But he has a devotional book for children. But stuff like that. Like my son needs to practice reading. And, you know, I need to make sure they're not, I need to fill their time because they're going to keep asking, can we watch TV? Can we do it? No. We're going to read this devotional. He reads it. We talk about it. My daughter chimes in. You know, it's a whole thing. Around the table, we're, I don't care what it is, we'll, we'll pick a letter. And so we're going to come up with 20 words that start with this letter. And then we're going to say, why did you come up with that? What made you think that? And then we have crazy conversations about what they're thinking or what we're thinking. And so that just can look a lot of different ways to me um, when we're inviting God into those spaces. And so even if it's not something artistic, I think sometimes the way we structure our day, structure our time, we got to get creative because we're in a season right now where breakfast for us, even though it's 630 in the morning, is our most consistent family time. And so we spend a lot of time around the bar talking like we do in the mornings. And we're getting ready and stuff, but we're not in the space where we have dinner every day at six o'clock. I mean, we have like a couple, one or two nights a week where that's consistent, but breakfast is our go-to. We're all there in the morning. And so we make the most of that. It's our family devotional time, usually led by my son. So yeah, I just think being open to how God may want to show up in your home and your friends with your family is important. And is that book, is it called Indescribable? Indescribable, Yes. Yes, I'm going through that right now with our daughter, Shiloh. So connecting with what you're talking about. It's so good. And it leads to so many conversations. And it, to your point, it sparks creativity because it always starts with some great story about sharks or caterpillars or the earth or the moon. And my son is like enraptured because he loves all those things. And then it turns a corner talking about how God shows up in our lives. And that that sparks so many good conversations and it keeps his mind thinking that look at God in all these things. I can see God in everything. And that that's really my goal for them. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. With over 1,700 apartment units available throughout Pekin, Peoria, Peoria Heights, Morton, Washington, and Canton, and with every price range covered, you will have plenty of options when you rent through Lehman Property Management Company. They have townhomes, duplexes, studios, and garden-style options located in many areas throughout Pekin. In Peoria, a historic downtown location and apartments adjacent to the OSF Medical Center provide excellent choices. 
check out their brand new luxury property in Peoria Heights overlooking the boutique shops and fine dining on Prospect. And in Morton, they offer a variety of apartment homes with garages, a hot downtown location, and now a brand new high-end complex near Idlewood Park. Their beautiful, spacious apartments with private garages in a quiet but convenient location await you in Washington. And if you're looking in Canton, don't miss Village Square Apartments. Renters may be excited to learn about their flexible leases, pet-friendly locations, and even mini storage units available in some locations. Lehman Property Management Company has a knowledgeable and helpful staff, including several employees with over 30 years working with this reputable company. If you want to become a part of their team, contact them about open office positions. They're also hiring in their maintenance department, so we invite you to find out why so many people have chosen to make a career with them. Check them out on Facebook today or email their friendly staff at leasing at laymanprops.com. You can also stop by their website at laymanproperties.com. That's L-E-M-A-N properties.com. Check them out and find your place to call home today. We're the only one who can be responsible to know ourselves and understand how God created us individually. And I personally believe that this work can lead us to know God better and be able to worship him with more freedom. So with that in mind, Jada, do you have any examples of how we actually love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, if you go through that kind of list and your heart is the core of your emotions and your affections. I'm old enough where we had book covers when I was in school. So we drew on book covers, so-and-so loves so-and-so and all that stuff. So, I mean, I'm trying to re- remind them of what it's like when their heart is affectionate for someone, even if that person does nothing in return. When you have a new son or daughter or niece or nephew or when you're in love, there's so many things we just have. A, we have affection for celebrities that we've never met. Like we just are hardest toward them. And so thinking about how do I love God with my heart, like my desire, not just my I need something from you. And then your soul, obviously the spiritual core of who you are. And that, that goes to scripture and being led by the spirit of God. Your mind, how do I love God with my thoughts? Um, I've asked myself how much space in my brain does God occupy? How many of my thoughts come back to God? Or is it I'm spending all this time in anxiety, stirring up anxiety, wondering what if and how if and what if that didn't work? And let me think of a plan A, B, C and D. And let me what's my backup to my backup? And like you can get down a rabbit hole of life and really God gets kind of brought in on the tail end. Like I've hit my wall of anxiety. Oh, God, can you please come in and quiet my heart and please help? I mean, I'd rather try to, as as Paul says, to take every thought captive. Like, how do I love God with my mind? What am I letting occupy my mind? You know, am I really sad because someone hurt me deeply and it consumes me? How could they do that? And who's going to get them back? And look how it's changed my life. The hurt is real, but how much time I let it occupy my mind is going to show me what I love. Do I love living in that place of hurt? I may not say that. It doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound right to say I love being hurt. But you love what you let your mind occupy. And so, you know, how do I love God with my mind? And then my strength, I love that because it's 
it shows me that to love God is work. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like I tell people when you get married at when you say I do at the altar, like when the work begins, because now you're saying, hey, I want to merge two lives and we're going to try to love God while we're doing it. And by the way, we've known each other a few months or a few years and we think we've really figured it out. And so when you say I do, a husband does not suddenly become endowed with amazing leadership insight. <laughs> a woman does not suddenly become endowed with the ability to help and support and co-partner and all these things. That stuff takes work. To love one another takes work. And so I think sometimes as Christians, we think I'm going to become a Christian or have an experience with God and then whew, I'm going to suddenly be able to love him. Like he's going to be my heart's desire. And nothing in scripture <laughs> says that that's going to be easy. You know, Paul talks about that conflict in Romans 7. The thing I, I want to do is not what I do. So when I think about loving God as my strength, it's like how much effort am I putting into it? When do I get off social media, turn off Netflix, commit to saying I'm not going to go to bed until I spend 10 minutes in scripture or I'm not going to leave my house till I spend 10 minutes in prayer? Like it's work. And when I'm offended, it takes strength to not say something back or to think some thought. That's not edifying. So anyway, those are things I think practically when it comes to loving God can be helpful. Right. And I'm even thinking along those practical lines, what you had mentioned earlier about somebody offering a dance to the Lord, that's, I would see the involvement of heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I see all of this layering on top of each other or the connections. But why do you think it's important to also learn how God exclusively wired each of us? Oh, man, I'm such a big purpose, life calling person. I just think the more you know about who you are, who God's made you to be, the better you can live out whatever the assignment is he's giving you, the better you can glorify him, the better you can love him because you know what your stuff is and where you struggle and where you thrive, the better you can love people, you know what your pain points are, what your buttons are. I think at the end of Psalm 139, when David is like, search me, I want you to search me, Lord. And, you know, see my anxious thoughts. Is there anything in me that's not like you? And like this idea of lead me in this way everlasting. And that Psalm is actually one of my favorite Psalms, speaking of favorite scriptures, because the whole Psalm is basically David saying, you have searched me and you have known me, you know, everything about me. And you know where I go when I sit down, when there's thoughts, on my mind, you know, before they even form on my lips, all these things. And then he ends by saying, search me, oh God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts. It's clearly not because God needs to search David so that God can know David. <laughs> He's already established that he knows him. He's saying, search me so you can show me me, show me what you see in me. Because I think it's very important for us to say, God, tell me who I am, my calling and purpose and all that stuff is important to find. But if I don't know how I'm wired, am I fast paced? Do I tend to be harsh with people? Am I slow paced? Do I tend to be very analytical? Like all of these things help me know how God might want to fulfill that purpose in me. And so I'm always on mission, personally learned by myself. I'm like, okay, now how does this affect your work relationship? How does this affect your marriage or your kids? And like it applies to everything. Knowing self and knowing people, I think is how we how we love well. And J.D., you just are natural at weaving in the observation and the interpretation. And now as we zero in on that topic, then let's go to application. 
Will you elaborate on your process of stacking the personality tests? So I just feel like people are complex. And so I used to love DISC, D-I-S-C, if anyone's not familiar with that. There's lots of free tests out there now because it was really super simple. Everybody was in the Myers-Briggs, but I was like, listen, 16 combinations is a lot. So I liked DISC because it was like, are you a director or influencer, steady, compliant? It kind of broke everything up based on your pace. If you're a fast paced person or a slower person, they're not good or bad. They're just different. Or if you're people oriented or task oriented, it was real simple. And then um, other things came along. Strength finders, spiritual gifts test, obviously. Myers-Briggs is cool. There's a new version of that called 16 personality types, which gives names to each of those. The, the wiring, your hard wiring is your temperament, like how God made you. You love people. You love tasks. You're analytical and precise. You're free spirited. That's just how God made you. And that's disc kind of stuff in Myers-Briggs, because you can have different personality types with the same motive. Are you an achiever? Are you perfectionistic? You want harmony. And so if I'm an achiever, um, if I'm a quiet, introverted person, my achievement may come out in writing or counseling or something that is very introverted and one-on-one. If I'm an extroverted person, then I'm probably on stage, on platform, I'm a talker. So you need like who you are and how you do life because that speaks to motive, like why you do what you do. And then I love adding in spiritual gifts because then you get to see some people with the gift of hospitality are super talkative. They need to be at the door. Some people are introverted focused workers. They're the ones planning the thing, you know? And so it's just so many facets to how we're wired. And I think the more we know about ourselves and each other, we get to kind of see the fullness of who we are and be amazed that God made us in an instant. (laughs) It's like, I'm going to give you all these complexities. Boom. And there's 200 billion of them. Go. (laughs) So yeah, I just love it. People fascinate me. I agree. People fascinate me as well. And I enjoy studying this. And you brought up spiritual gifts and spiritual gifts are a vital part of knowing ourselves so that we can love others better. So how do you recommend that we first discover and then use and exercise and practice our spiritual gifts to serve and build up the church? Oh, I think, you know, in my mind, that's kind of the idea of strategic service, like knowing fully who I am. And even as a church organization, knowing who we are and what and who we might need and who might serve well in a particular area. It just helps us to be more intentional. Anybody can go and pick up trash or set out chairs or be a greeter if they've got a a great, you know, inviting personality. But there's going to be some people who are really good at it. There's going to be some people who pick up chairs and pick up trash just because they love the church. They have a servant's heart. They're going to do it. But that's not going to be sustainable. What's going to be sustainable is the person who's bothered by the trash on the floor, the person who does not understand why the chairs are not in a perfect row, the person who doesn't understand why the person at the door greeting doesn't look happy to be here. Like the person who finds the typo on the website, you know, the person who listens to the music and is like, "Mm, those chords don't go. I think the things that disturb us, disrupt us, those are usually places where we can lean into really strategic service. We all have to do everything very often at some point. But long term, to know that I'm going to contribute more in this capacity than I am in this capacity really keeps my eyes open for what God might do. And so you can have a servant's heart and say yes to whatever the need is, but also 
have intentional eyes for where God might open opportunities that really suit you. And so I, I think it's always important to try to be as strategic as we can with our servers. Well, and I've heard this taught both ways, so I would really value your insight. Do you believe that God gifts us with these spiritual gifts while we're still in our mother's womb? Or are spiritual gifts given to us at salvation, at that moment when we get a new heart and become a follower of Jesus? You know, that's a good question. I Scripture would make me think that the gifts Spiritual gifts are gifts of the spirit and that if you have not received the Holy Spirit as a believer, then even though God knows what your gift will be, they may not be fully endowed to you or, you know, be able to be fully realized. But then there's this other side that our lives are purpose driven even before our spiritual gifting is revealed. Because Paul says in Galatians 5, I was called and set apart. My mother's womb. David says, You formed me in my inward parts. Like there is this intentionality even in the womb. And so I would probably have to process that more. But if I was going to be nuanced about it, I would probably say that calling, purpose, intentionality, God gives us in the womb at conception. And that He obviously knows our spiritual gifts, but I think that we only fully realize them, able to receive them once we become believers. I, I just I can't reconcile not being a Christian and being able to use your spiritual gifts. <laughs> I can't I can't reconcile that. And so I think they're there waiting for us to choose Jesus. Calling purpose, yes. Because a lot of people are, are walking in some version of their calling and their purpose before they become Christian. Then become Christian, they're like, oh, this is what <laughs> this is what God meant. It's similar. You know, Paul, he was still teaching, he was still passionate, he was still preaching, but different agenda, you know? So you see in the life of Paul, there was still activity and a life dedicated to what he was good at. It's just that when he found Jesus, that same gifting, that same wiring just became used for the Lord. And then he was, I believe, given the spiritual gifts that come with salvation. Hmm. That's a great example, because then you see very different fruit produced from the gifts um, prior to encountering Jesus and after. Same personality. He didn't. That's why I try to tell people there's no right or wrong personality. Paul didn't become quiet. He didn't become shy. He didn't become less passionate. He was still pretty direct. He still said what he wanted to say and how he felt. Like, you know, he was still a zealot. It was just that it was for the Lord. And so his life is a reference point for me often to encourage people that whatever your personality and how you're wired and what you're good at, man, God gives you that at birth. And Using it in spiritual divine ways with certain endowments, certain portions, you know, of faith or hospitality or pastoring or shepherd, those portions you get as a believer and then they partner with how he's already wired you. And then you see like that divine calling. There is an exciting project taking place behind the scenes right now, and I would love to invite you to participate. I will give you more details as I'm able. But for now, here's my request. Will you email me your personal story of a specific way God has clearly shown up in your life? Big or small, I want to hear an account of the way He made Himself known to you and maybe received credit for an answered prayer, or a way He worked out a situation in a miraculous way, or how He displayed His power in your life. There's no limit to the type of story to submit, as long as it's true. 
So please email me your story at this email address, info at thesavvysauce.com. I can't wait to read your story. Thanks for sharing. And I've also heard you share before that it's our work to have a PhD knowledge of ourselves, and that's for everyone's benefit. But then to realistically expect others to have more of an elementary knowledge of us. But hopefully conversations like this can spur us on to more thoughtfully observe and learn more about others so that our degree in others becomes more advanced in our knowledge of them. So as we change gears now from knowing ourselves, how do you think we can grow in knowing others well? I would say a lot of times with the same tools that I apply to the study of scripture and the same tools I apply to learning myself. So personality and strength and all that kind of, that kind of stuff is so important because it the more I know myself and I become aware of other personality types or other strengths or other spiritual giftings, then the more I, I'm aware and I'm able to see that in other people. And so when I do spiritual gifts or when I've done my spiritual gifts, I don't just look at my, my teaching, leadership, whatever it is. I, I want to learn all of them. So when I see someone, I go, I think you have a spiritual gift of hospitality, you know? And so I want to learn those things because they, they prepare me to be able to speak into the lives of others and learn them and appreciate them. And, and when I compare it to the study of scripture, I say, you know, observation, because even with all the tests and all the assessments in the world, it still does not tell you a person's life experience. And so I could take a person with the exact same Myers-Briggs, the exact same personality, the exact same strengths or whatever they're using, and they're still not going to be the exact same person because their households were different. Their childhood experiences were different. The value, I mean, there's so much nuance to our actual life experiences that assessments and those foundational things about how we're wired, they're just the beginning. It's as valuable to take those tools and take scripture that we apply to ourselves and ask God to give us discernment into others. Because I think Philippians 2, 3 says, you put others' interests over your own. Well, I can't if I don't know their interests. If I keep projecting my interest to your interests, then I can't, I can't love you well. And I'm just mad that you didn't remember my birthday. And I'm not thinking about the fact that you didn't grow up in a household that cared for my birthdays. You know, I'm just thinking about my life. And so those little things, they start to become real chasms, you know, in our ability to love well when we can't get outside of ourselves to really educate ourselves on other people. Well, and I love one of your previous quotes where you say, you can't love well if you don't love close. So how can we <laughs> love close in order to love well? You know, nobody wants to love close unless we've got some kind of warranty or guarantee that this is going to go well. <laughs> it's like, what, God? Yeah, it's risk. It's so much risk. And every time I I really have to do a couple things. That's one, always choose transparency and authenticity. Like that is hard for me. I am a guarded person. I'm a focused person. I don't tend to naturally gravitate toward transparency. And God has had to stretch that muscle in me so that I can like embrace my humanity and my dependence and who I am as a creature that I don't have all together. And so 
asking him, okay, God, how do you want me to be authentic in this moment? Be transparent in this moment. Someone's going through something. Do I give them a scripture or should I just tell them I've been through that? And let me tell you my story a little bit. And then also asking God when I should be vulnerable because you can be transparent and authentic. And I can tell you, hey, marriage is hard. My marriage is not perfect. A, B, and C, but being vulnerable, saying, hey, here's what we're going through right now. Well, that's not for everybody, but I still have to have my heart open to how God wants me to do that because that's how I love close. I mean, most of the time we think closeness comes, we want close love to come because we give up very little and the other person gives up a lot. And that's why we get married. Someone's made me happy, you know, even, even if we love Jesus. We, you know, just we're naturally self-centered people. So we're like, oh, this person made me happy or I can see our lives together. And loving close really is I take the risk because I know God is my advocate. God loves me thoroughly and completely and unconditionally. I don't want you to hurt me. But if you hurt me and disappoint me, God's love, he's got me and I, I can be OK. And my image for that, I think I talk about it on my podcast. It's the book I'm working on. My image for that that always comes to mind is the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus brought in three men that he knew were going to fail into his most vulnerable moment. And they fall asleep. And, you know, he doesn't unfriend them. He doesn't cancel them. He gives them another chance and even a third chance. And they never get it. They never like are able to stay awake with him during his toughest time. And so when I see that and, and think about that story, I'm reminded that community and loving close and loving in a real vulnerable way, is such a part of how we're wired that even when people fail us, God does not excuse us from being transparent and vulnerable. He's like, yeah, disappointment is a part of this world. And guess what? You disappoint people too, Jada. So it's part of this world. But there's going to be some moments that come because you're vulnerable, take, willing to take a risk from really meaningful relationships that you cannot have if you try to self-protect the whole way. It's a risk. You're probably going to get hurt. Someone's going to hurt your feelings or not say the right thing or betray your trust. And they didn't mean to. They just were talking too much or whatever. And you got to decide, do I want to cut that off and isolate another person from my life? Or God, are you asking me to lean in? And that's what it means to live close. It's hard. Yeah. And is there any other specific scripture that informs your desire to live in biblical community? Well, I just think about, I mean, the way Jesus modeled it with the disciples is so significant. And Mark, I think four, the, the man that lowered the, the man who could not walk down on, who was on the cot and they lowered him into the roof. Like I think about what does it mean to have friends that have walked with you long enough that know that here's an opportunity for your life to be changed. We're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to know you through the roof. The thing is sold out. <laughs> We're going to make sure you get there. He could not have done that on his own. He needed a community of people to help him do that. And so I think whether it's Old Testament, you know, Jonathan and David, and you see those things in a friendship type community, but even David and Nathan, that Nathan wasn't David's friend, but he showed him the error of his ways after he had an affair with Bathsheba and had her husband killed. That's still community that you need. Everybody's not going to be a friend, but there's so many ways that we can let people in because David could have said, hey, Nathan, you know what? We're not even that close. You you don't have any right to bring this to me. But he his heart was open because he knew he had dishonored the Lord. And so we can find the, 
the way we're wired to live in a community, it shows up in so many ways. But it's just when I when I think about it, the bottom line is it's risky. That means I got to keep being willing to trust God to heal me, give me wisdom so that I don't shut people off when when I get disappointed. So. And I love how you bring that scripture to life about the four friends lowering the man who cannot walk, because it makes me think of Psalm 16. The first part of verse eight says, I have set the Lord continually before me. And so that's part of maybe our responsibility or our part or what we can be doing. But also then in biblical community, those friends, they were crucial to be the ones to set this person before the Lord. And I think that's something we can do for our friends. Yeah. yeah. And I think God is so faithful to bring us people. Sometimes they're what I call guides or like God friends, like a Nathan and David or Paul and Barnabas. They're not, they're not really people you go to dinner with and chit chat with, but they're people who are intentional. They care about God's purpose in your life and things like that. And sometimes he just brings us girlfriends. You know, I think so often about Mary and Elizabeth, like only God would have her cousin who should have been barren also be pregnant with John the Baptist. And now they have this shared experience. They're both in this place like no one else can understand. No one else can understand. And God gives them each other. So much so that it's this, you know, their their babies leapt for joy in their womb when they when they connected. And so I just think God is so faithful that even if you think no one gets me, I don't do friendships. I can't find a real closeness with someone. He will do that. He will find you a Mary or an Elizabeth that is like, you cannot believe how much you all have in common. And so I just think he's gracious like that to give us things that give us ways to lead into community. But we, we have to be asking all the time, God, where do I, where do I lead? Is this a friendship that I need to pursue? And so, yes, yeah, risky. <laughs> Back to my word. It's risky, but oh, that is so good, Jada, because it's true. He is so faithful. And when he gives, we see this modeled in scripture, when he gives people a calling, he brings alongside an encourager or a friend. So Barnabas to Paul, or like you said, Elizabeth to Mary. I love that. And let's combine all of these pieces that we've chatted about so far. We've talked about knowing God, knowing ourselves and knowing others to love all better. So I just want to hear a few more of your best practices. So as you've grown to know yourself better, what is some wise stewardship that's resulted? Uh, That's a very good question. Um, Let's see, if I've known myself better, I think I am a better steward of my time. I am kind of a achiever, extroverted. I want everything to be great all the time. And so my tendency is to say yes when I have a, a certainty that I'm going to be successful. <laughs> I know I can do that well. I'm going to say yes. Um, but as I've gotten to know myself, I know that God grows my faith when I have opportunities where I'm I'm kind of out of my comfort zone. Like I really need to lean on him because this is not something I've done 20 times. And so I'm starting to see him and trust me with certain things like that. And I'm like, now, why, God, am I doing this? And he's like, yeah, because you trust me and I want you to. And so there's a discomfort that I'm becoming comfortable with saying, OK, this is God is going to do this. I have tried to be a better steward of my parenting. My son is very compassionate and emotive and relational and caring. And I tend to 
be less compassionate and more task driven and things like that. And so God has challenged me as I've gotten to know myself and thought about who my son is and how he's wired, like that gap between our relationship and why I get frustrated because he can't like get over it when he's having a sad day. And God's like, you need to chill (laughs) and you're going to make him think this is not okay who he is. And so there's been moments where it's easier to hang out with my daughter because we're wired a little more similarly, but I have to lean in and steward my time with them differently. It seems so small, but like I, it used to be convenient for me to put them to bed together. And in the last year, it just takes a little longer to get in bed, but I put her to bed first because it literally takes her five minutes. She don't need a story or song. She's like, good night. <laughs> my son is like, I want a song. I want a story. He's probably going to tell me somebody's day. And I have to dig in and go, he needs these five to 10 minutes to just kind of talk without Chloe interrupting, <laughs> without me being in a hurry. And so that little thing has has changed our bedtime routine, but it has enriched our relationship. So as I learn about myself and God shows me about others, whether they're family or friends or people in ministry, he gives me like small ways to make adjustments that are probably meaningful to them. I don't think he's saying overhaul your whole life. It's just like, just be discerning, be interested in others, be interested in me. And I'll show you baby steps that you can just make adjustments along the way and just be better every day. And just to elaborate on that a little bit further, are there any other systems or habits that you've put in place that help you choose and discern where to invest and manage your time and energy? I don't know if it's systems. I kind of have a grid that I think through. I'm like, okay, how does this affect our family routine? How does this affect my commitment at our local church? I teach Bible study there on Wednesdays. And so I kind of just have been more intentional about my priorities and thinking through all those things. And does this line up with what I believe God's calling us to do this season? So I think taking time to slow down and ask those questions. But the, the trick is I can't answer those questions unless I've done the work on really seeking the Lord on what our family's priorities are, <laughs> what he's called me to do. And and so there's a, there's a whole ongoing investigation with God. What are you trying to do in my life? Because then those things drive my priorities. And so, yeah, I think, you know, I've been intentional about Sabbath. I feel much more confident in what I say yes to and no to. I think it's given me wisdom how to navigate relationships. You know, I'm not trying to worry if everybody's okay. I mean, I I do sometimes, but not in an unhealthy way. So it's just been a lot of little things that I think, you know, God is continuing to grow me. There's so much practical wisdom packed into that answer. I love it. And J.D., you've been such an encouragement. What's the best place that we can follow up and find you online? Uh, I love Instagram. I'm getting better at Facebook. I have a Facebook page simply jada edwards easy to find instagram i think is i am jada edwards it's it's pretty easy to find and um we have some podcasts as well and you can find those on your platforms just jada edwards (laughs) so simple or you can buy through the website so and the website has any books and bible studies and all that kind of stuff on there Wonderful. We will link to all of that in the show notes for today's episode. And you may already be aware that we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy and savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or insight. So Jada is my final question for you today. What is your Savvy Sauce? 
Well, my savvy sauce is probably based on everything we've said, know God, know yourself, know people, and you'll be able to love well. Love it. It has been such a joy to get to chat with you and learn more about each of those topics. And it's such an important conversation because that knowing leads to loving and growing in love is always a worthy pursuit. So Jada, you are just captivating to listen to. And I delight in the way that God wired you, which came out in this conversation. So thank you for seeking to live faithfully for him. And thank you for being my guest today. Thank you so much for having me. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news. And I want to share the best news with you, but it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners and God is perfect and holy. So he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone, say it out loud, get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. 
you are loved and I look forward to meeting you here next time.